Amen, amen. How are we doing? It is cold outside. I was joking. I poured coffee before the 8 o'clock, and I poured more coffee today than I have in a while. To people who don't like coffee, because they just want to be warm today. So, yeah, I'm sorry about today, but it's going to be a good day. Uh, we're starting a new series. The series is called Flourishing with Jesus, the Great I Am. Um, so I was thinking about, so we, if, you're not, if you haven't been here, we're just in a series called Lives Jesus Changed. So we're talking about being changed in a way that is significantly different than we can do ourselves, right? Jesus can, only, only Jesus can do this. Now, I've told this story before. Uh, I'm not sure if in this room or not, but I was reading a book about a, a, a person, a, a wife who's in a relationship with her husband, and it was a terrible, terrible marriage. Tons of pain, tons of violence, tons of bad things. And she said that her husband met Jesus. And in the book she writes, my husband didn't change. I got a brand new husband. So we're coming out of a series where it's like that kind of change, where we believe people can become wholly different, right? But the stories we looked at, they were kind of moments. It was like a moment where a person encountered Jesus because we think he is risen and he's alive, right? We just celebrated that last Sunday. We think he's on the move. But it's a moment. This, to me, feel like this new series is like... Um, it's not a great analogy because all analogies fall short when it comes to Jesus. But it's like, so my wife is right here. And there was a night where I know that night I wanted to be with this lady, right? It was a moment that I knew. And I actually went home and told a friend about it. His name is Angel. But from that moment where my life began to change, I had then to get to know Kelly, which takes a ton of time and being with her through good things and through bad things. So to me, the last series was this moment where our lives can be changed by Jesus. This new series about Jesus, he makes all these truth statements about himself. This is where we get to know Jesus. On Easter, we talked about this, this cycle of following Jesus. And in life, we, we, we get to know him and then things are, are pretty good and we're moving. All of a sudden, we hit these moments they call the wall. Hit moments that you, it's more than your humanity can bear. And most people fall away at that moment with Jesus because they, they haven't gone far enough yet. That's what this series is. It's when we hit the walls in life, we know who he is because he's told us exactly who he is and we can trust him, okay? So a prayer I like to pray because it helps me a lot. So what I think is happening in this series, the prayer I oftentimes pray is, God, I am so grateful I am grateful that you are God and I am not. So we're doing this series. We are trying to reorder our lives, reorient our lives to where Jesus is God and I am not. And I like it. That's what's going to happen. So what's going to happen each week is we're going to be a common sentence. And I think it's slide number uh, nine, Preston. Because of I am, because of, we're going to talk about that statement a lot today. Because of who Jesus is, look at, and we're, we try to make that I, the second I, a lowercase I. Because of I am, I will. He's the capital I. Because of who he is, I will do things. Because I have positioned him in my life as king in my life. Which I think is the best way to live. I hope you get that sense today. So each week, there's seven statements. And uh, you can give me slide number eight, Preston. We're working through them. And you know what I love about Jesus and rabbis is I think 
a rabbi in Jesus' day, he would talk about things you could see, right? That's, that's a rabbi's taught. So, so when he says, I am the bread of life, he's probably around some bread. When he talks about, I am the light of the world, he's probably around some light. So he's talking about things that his listeners, his disciples can see. So he's connecting the two things. So I, I'm, I think our teachers are going to connect those statements, which might seem kind of different to us, right? They seem kind of churchy, maybe, some of them. And they'll connect them to things that I think that we experience in daily life, okay? But because of all those things, because of who Jesus is, as you'll see in our story today, we get to then do that for other people. Because of what he did for me, I get to do it for you. All right? Okay. All right, here we go. So I'm supposed to have a neighborhood question, and I had a hard time with this one today. Because we're supposed to pull like that statement, I am the bread of life, and ask, what does that mean to you? Well, today's statement is out of Exodus 3. We're going to start in John 8, but Exodus 3, and God says, I am who I am. I am who I am. So if I were to ask you, what does that mean to you? I feel like that wouldn't, it'd be a hard, a hard conversation for you to have the person next to you, right? I am who I am. So I was thinking about this though. Have you ever had a moment in life when you knew you were supposed to do something and it didn't make a lot of sense? Like, all right, but, but, but you know, so regardless if you, have, if you believe in Jesus or not, I think we all have these moments where I know I'm supposed to do this thing. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me to do this thing, but I just know I have to do it. You ever have those moments where you took a step out and did something really different and it felt like the wrong decision to make, but it ended up being a good decision to make? Am I the only one who's ever done this? Raise your hand if you've done this. All right. Well, that's what I want you to talk about for just a minute. When did you make a choice that seemed, I don't know why we're making this choice? And you did it, and then what happened? Would you share that with someone next to you for just a minute? Or you can just think about it if you're an introvert. My dad would say you can close your eyes and act like you're praying. But I think you should talk. I'm an extrovert. All right, so go ahead. When you made a choice that seemed, why would I make that choice? But I did it anyways, all right? All right, talk to someone next to you. We talk in church here. All right, good. Isn't it good to remember those moments when you did something that was kind of wild, but you look back and you're like, I never would have guessed I would have wanted to do that. And then I did it. I'm like, I'm so glad I did that. That's God. He does those kinds of things. All right. So today, as you can see my Bible, I got sticky notes. We're going to turn some pages in church. All right. So if you want to, there are Bibles in the back and I'll tell you the page numbers. But what we're going to try to do today is we're going to start in John 8. Jesus makes one of these I am statements. It's a little different than the ones we saw. And it goes back to the Old Testament. So way back to the left in our Bibles in Exodus. Then we're going to work our way back through our Bibles, past John's gospel. And then we're going to come back to John. So you're ready. I think we can do it. I think I can keep it all straight in my mind. All right? So we're going to start John chapter 8. It's on page 1060. I'm just going to read you verse 31 and 58, all right? 32, 31, 32. So Jesus is talking to people who believe him. And he says this in verse 31. uh, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. If you hold to my teaching, which means you do what I say. 
You're my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Down in verse 58, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. All right? So Jesus is making kind of a wild statement there. So before Abraham was born, he's talking to Jewish listeners. So he's talking about somebody who lived a long time before him. He's saying, so before he was born, I am. And what's interesting in John's gospel is that when he writes, I am, it's actually, there's actually two eyes. So it's I, comma, I am. So he says, so all these statements he's making, he says, he can say, so I'm the bread of life, I. I am the bread of life. So before Abraham, before, we'll talk about who that is in just a minute, a person way long ago, before him, I, I am. So you have to remember, John's goal in his gospel is that we believe in Jesus. He uses the word believe like over 80 times. He wants us to believe, okay? And we're going to come back to this place here because in between here, there's a lot of discussion. So Jesus says, I'm going to tell you the truth. I am the truth. I, I am, all right? So we're going to come back to that. But because Jesus referenced Abraham... We're going to go way back to the left in our Bibles, okay? So we're going to go to Exodus 3. And we have this story here about a guy named Moses. I'm actually going to start in chapter 2, verse 24. All right? So because Jesus referenced Abraham, because he's saying before him, before those stories, before all these other things that you know, we have to go back there, I am. So I was before all of that. So 2 verse 24. So God heard their groaning. Does anyone know the backstory of Exodus? Sorry, I should have said this. Everybody know Exodus? So the, the Israelite people, they have gone down to Egypt. They went there because they needed food. And there's a, a, a forerunner to Moses named Joseph who was there. And he was working with the Egyptians a wild story. We don't have time to get into it today. But they moved down there to live, to, th- to survive, and to thrive. But they become really populous. There's a ton of Israelites, and they're living in someone else's land. And those people in that land aren't so sure about that anymore. They're taking up too many resources. They're being, they're, there's too many of them. They might take over where we live, right? We wouldn't want somebody to move into where we live and take over our, our stuff, right? No, we wouldn't want that. So this new pharaoh takes over. He says, we're going to fix this, all right? So he enslaves all of them. They've been in slavery now for generations. Generation after generation after generation after generation after generation has been slaves. Could you imagine, just sorry, side note, if not one person in your family had a day off ever, like your parents never had a day off, and then their parents never had a day off, and then their parents never had a day off, Could you imagine that? How would that impact you down the line? Just wild. So so that's what's happening right now. Those people, they're enslaved. Verse 24, God heard, God says, I heard their groaning. And I remembered my promise with Abraham, who Jesus says, I was before him. With Isaac, his son, with Jacob, his son. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. You're going to see those two words a lot come up here. God saw and God heard, okay? 
Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock of sheep, which was a normal job, right, to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. You might know if you've been to church, that would be Mount Sinai, right, which is a really important mountain in this story. And we'll come back to it in a little bit, all right? That's where he is. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. I've heard that a lot of times, right? I'm sure you've heard that a lot of times. Well, let's actually get in the story for just a moment, okay? There's the bush, and it's not like a bush. That's why I was thinking. I think of like a little bush. This is like a big bush, right? In the desert, where it's really dry, I just burned some stuff in my little fire pit the other day. It lit super fast, right? We just had a red flag warning. And this thing, this bush is on fire. It's huge. And the bush is not burning up, one. And two, which I thought of this morning, the fire is not spreading. I never thought about that. So the, fire, the bush is on fire. It's not burning the wood. And it's not moving outside of the bush, all right? Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight. Right? That's crazy. Why does the bush not burn up? It's kind of wild. When the Lord saw that he, Moses, had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Which essentially, if I understand this right, it says, it's not just like, oh, hey. It's like, no, I'm here. You are powerful. What are you? I'm here to do what you want me to do. Angel inside of a bush that won't burn up, that's not spreading, that's talking to me. Like, whoa. I am here. Don't come closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're staying is holy ground. Only slaves would take off their sandals. So in this story, God is establishing who he is, and he's seeing if Moses wants him to do that. Stop. Don't come closer. Take off your shoes. That's what a slave would do, someone who's under someone. What does Moses do? He takes off his sandals. The Lord says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look. So Jesus is saying, right, before that I am. John's trying to say in his gospel that Jesus, Jesus says all the time in John's gospel, I and the Father are one. We work together always. So I was in the beginning. I am with God in this moment. I think one of the hard parts for me sometimes is, uh, uh, um, what I'm trying to do here today is that Jesus is God, right? And Jesus is a person. And oftentimes we try to choose one or the other, right? He's all-powerful God or Jesus is my homeboy and he's my buddy, right? But somehow he is both. So in this moment, Moses is being confronted by a holy God. And it says he is scared. In a minute, he covers his face. He takes off his shoes, which made me think of a different story from John. Because John's trying to establish, and Jesus is too, before Abraham, I, I am, I am God. John has this moment in Revelation, same author, Revelation 1. 
I can find here. I found this morning. Verse 10. John is all of a sudden in a new place and he hears a voice like a trumpet. He turns to see the voice and he sees someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as stone. His eyes were blazing like fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John's response to Jesus when he is Jesus is to fall at his feet. When Moses is at a burning bush when he's in the presence of God, what is his response? To fall at his feet. Because God is holy, 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 right? The Lord said this, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up and out of the land to a good and spacious land, a land flung with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So God says, I have heard. I'm going to come rescue, right? God says, I'm going to do this. Then he does something interesting. God says, so now, go, Moses. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So, I say, holy, holy God. So holy, so powerful, so other, so different that we fall at his feet. I'm going to rescue, he says. I'm going to do these things, he says. Then he says, but I want you to do it with me. I heard a person say the other day, God is really inefficient with his time, isn't he? To use us, to partner with him, maybe he's just efficient in a different kind of way. Because he's, he's trying to change you and change me and change Moses. He said, I will do it. I will rescue. But I want you to come with me. That's what we're trying to do the statement. Because of I am God, I, you, lowercase I, will. We will partner with him because he's the God who saves. Because he's so different than us. Because he loves us. But Moses said to God, earlier Moses said, here, here I am, right? I'm ready. He hears God's plan and Moses says, Oh, hold on a minute. Verse 11. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring out the Israelites? Who am I? Maybe he's fearful. Maybe he's lacking confidence. I, it doesn't say for sure. I'm guessing he's scared. I would be scared. But look at God's response. God never answers his question. God said, I'll be with you. That's all you need to know. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll worship on this mountain. So the sign I'm going to give you, that you're doing the thing I'm asking you to do, won't happen until further in the future. So you're going to have to trust me. 
Moses said, suppose I go to Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What do I tell them? You know, Moses said your name was not just like a name. It actually, it implies your character, it implies your person. What I can expect when I am with you is what your name means. So if I'm going to be in a relationship with you, what am I getting myself into? It's kind of what he's asking. And God, God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So when Moses tells this to people, it's, it's, it's not, he's not saying I am. He's saying he will be who he is. So God's name, one, that's kind of weird. It's kind of mysterious. Two, it means he never changes. I am who I am all the time. I'm never different. I am. Three, he's self-sufficient. Four, he's self-sustaining, just like the bush. He doesn't need, the, he created the resources. He does not need the resources. I am all the time. So whoever I say that I am to you is how I will treat you always. Which is the opposite of me, right? Is it the opposite of you? Do you, I always do what I say? Do you always do what you say? Can we, could, could we make that statement? I cannot. I change in a, in a conversation. I'll go from one thing to the next thing, right? My wife can attest to that probably. I am this way all the time. So this is what I find so interesting about this passage. What's the first thing that we learn? When God says, I am. And who I am, I always am. What do we first learn about him? Back up to verse 12. I will be with you. That's the first truth. I am with you. And as I was following the passage through, what kind of God is this who's with us? Verse 24, I hear. Verse 25, he looked all the way through. God hears us. God sees us. He hears us. He sees us. He hears us. He sees us. I will be with you. But God's not efficient the way I would like for him to be efficient sometimes, right? Sometimes it's this really long, slow process of him hearing me, of him seeing me, of him being with me, and not fixing things, right? Why? Because he's changing who we are. And God seems to know this about us. But the series about we want God to be God, and we're not. We want to be good with that, right? At that same mountain in Deuteronomy, God is there. The people have come. Moses has brought the people to this mountain, right? Fulfilled what he asked them to do. God said, that's the sign. I was with you the whole way. When he gets them to the mountain, he says this to them. I am the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 5, 6. But you can't have any other gods. No other gods, lowercase g gods. You can't worship something else. Because if it does, it will destroy you. Let's go back to John 8. So why I started here is, and I think this is the rest of the series. So Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, 
In verse 31, you'll be my disciples. If you do what I say, then you'll know the truth. So doing implies knowing the truth. And the truth sets you free. If you follow the conversation, he's talking to religious leaders. And he says, the problem, guys and gals, is that you are like your, he calls him your father, the devil, the father of lies. You're believing lies. I need to tell you the truth. That's why he concludes at the end. I tell you the truth. I am. I. I am. So all those statements we're going to work through. The bread of life, what sustains us. The light, the way we see. The resurrection and life, hope for forever. He says, I am all those things. But the problem is you are going to be prone to believe lies. And those lies come from other lowercase g gods, other powers, other beings that are trying to change how you think. Don't do what he says. So I read about a professor in uh, north of Chicago. And because uh, I believe lies. Does anyone else believe lies ever? You can be honest, right? So there's a professor and he teaches a class at seminary, people who want to go into this kind of work about Jesus. And he says he gives them two questionnaires to start every single semester. The first question is this. The first questionnaire is, how do you feel about all the hot buttons? Politics, sexuality, all this stuff. He lays it all out. Where are you at on this? And you put down what you believe. Then he gives a second questionnaire. People who love Jesus, want to follow Jesus at seminary. It says, where's Jesus at on all those same things? It says 90% of the questionnaires match. We are prone to make Jesus into our own image. There's this great old quote that God made man, humanity, in his image. And man, humanity, being the gentleman or gentlewoman that they are, returned the favor. Yeah. <laughs> so all these statements... These are truth statements. If there is, uh, so that uh, famous line, Shakespeare, to, thy, to thine own self be true, right? Do we ever hear that in our culture today? To thine own self be true, right? I didn't know this. I've never read the play. But you know who made the statement? I didn't. It's the buffoon. It's the person no one wants to be. He's the knucklehead in the whole play. That no, you would never do what that person has to say. To thine own self be true. Why? If, if that's truth, if he's truth, if this is the truth, if this is the way our God thinks, feels, wills, this is, what, this is his plan to flourish. Like the Ten Commandments, right, are the way to, like, to flourish. It's the way to live life. It's the way to be in right relationship with people. So if there is no truth, if there is not a truth, I am, he says, Jesus, I, I am. If there's not, and we all pick our own truths, how do we do it together? How confused are we? There, there, there cannot be very good relationship if there is not a truth. Because there's no place to start. And I don't know how to treat you. I don't know how to love you. Does that make sense? If there is not a truth and we're all picking our own, well, how am I going to 
right? Am I the only one who feels this way? How am I going to know how to talk to you? There is no ground zero to begin at. And everything changes. We're, we're disoriented. We need to be reoriented. There has to be, when God created the world, right, he ordered it. He ordered things in such a way that the world would flourish, that people would flourish, that they would know how to be in relationship with each other. So anything outside of him, which is just what Jesus is saying, I I am. I am the way, the truth, and life. I, I am the bread of life. I, I am the true vine. I, she's saying, I am. So in the series, as we, so you, we can have a moment with Jesus, but we are going to hit the wall. And when we hit the wall, when things get really, really challenging, do we know the truth or do we not? Because if we do not, we fall away. So we're, we're this series to me is it's gonna push us. If we let it. Or we walk away. Perhaps the series is kind of a wall. Do we want to move through the wall? Or I I am, says Jesus. And just to, I'll invite the band up, just a positive thing, just to end. Because, I, I mean, I feel kind of, I don't know. So I was reading about, uh, I did Holy Saturday. Ever been to a Holy Saturday service? Anyone know what that is, Holy Saturday? Yeah. So I got to do it, and I was so encouraged. You see, uh, there's a story in it. It's about a guy named Joseph, Joseph Nicodemus. So Jesus dies, right? And there's two people who bury Jesus, Joseph, Nicodemus. I'm so encouraged by this because if you read John's gospel, John loves to show a person growing and changing. So at the beginning, he talks about how Nicodemus is having conversations in the night with Jesus. He's trying to figure out this Jesus thing. In the middle, he talks about how Nicodemus wants to give, uh, give well, let's just hear Jesus out. And, but John also says there's other religious leaders who are kind of becoming the followers of Jesus, but they don't want to tell anyone because they don't want... They don't want to get in trouble, right? They don't want to lose what they have, right? At the very end, Jesus dies and in the moment where it makes no sense to follow Jesus. That's why I start with that question. When did you choose to do something that made no sense to you? I don't know why I would choose this right now. I, I don't know if I have anything to gain from this or not. When Jesus has died, if you're there and you're Joseph or Nicodemus, Jesus just lost, right? They don't know Jesus is going to rise again. Jesus died. That's the moment Joseph and Nicodemus decide to step out and say, I'm following this Jesus guy. But what I love about the story is in John, let's see, it's in, uh, let me find it real fast for you. I'm not going to find it. But it says that Joseph was a disciple of Jesus. The very end, it says he was. Not he became a disciple later after he buried Jesus. No, he was a disciple. Which says to me, me, my opinion, that Jesus knew Joseph believed in him. Jesus knew he was too scared to tell anyone about him. But if I'm going to become a disciple of Jesus, I'd have to sit with Jesus. 
I'd have to learn from Jesus. So Jesus sat with Joseph through the process. And it was okay, because he was waiting for the moment when he knew he'd finally take a step out. But he let Joseph sit in the shadows for a long time, trying to figure out, do I believe this? Is it worth it? It's going to cost me. What will people say about me? What will I lose? Right? Nicodemus, they probably lost everything generationally to follow Jesus. Jesus was patient with their process. And he let them work through it with him. That's why I love the first truth we learn about God. I will be with you as you figure this thing out. So that's the invitation in the coming weeks. Jesus is going to say to you and to me, I, I am. Do you trust me or not? Let's pray. God, uh, I don't know. Can, can I? I don't know if I can do this. Can, can I give you full permission, Holy Spirit, to just to just work us over right now in this room? I'd like to say that on behalf of everyone here. I'm sorry if someone here doesn't like that, but you can work us over. You can bring to our minds in the way that only you can things that we have held to as truths, which are untruths. Uh, situations we've stayed in, remained in because we just it was easier to stay than, than, than to leave. Can we bring anything? Would you bring anything to our minds in these next moments with you that we have believed that does not come from you? And would we somehow know that you are above that. There is a different way to live and to flourish. To live with each other and with you in these next moments, would you just reorient us? That we as a room could, could sing with our words, with our bodies, with our actions. We could say that we are grateful that you are God. And we're not. And that is just the, that is, that is the place, it's the place of peace. It's the place of being seen and being known. Like Moses, who am I? You said, I see you, I'll be with you. Even, even in your uncertainty, Moses, come with me. We, I'll change you into who I made you to be. Could that happen in this space? Could you do that kind of work in our hearts right now, God? We just want to be like you. Because as I read your word, man, Jesus, you are the exact representation of God in human form. And I think as I read, you are so fun. You were so loving and so kind and so forgiving. You welcomed everyone in such a way that even when they knew that you did not agree with them, Jesus, they still felt seen and known and loved by you and they just wanted to be with you. Would you do that in our hearts? Would we become those kinds of people so that we can be sent to partner with you? 